Thank you, Thomas. Turn with me, please, in their Bible reading to Exodus chapter 17, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. This was a passage that God put in my soul this week. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6. Exodus 17 and 6. These were the instructions that God gave to Moses. He said, Behold, I stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. As we read through this passage in the book of Exodus, we discover that murmuring had become endemic amongst the children of Israel. They had witnessed, of course, God's mighty miracles. They had witnessed his interventions. They had witnessed his hand at work in their midst. But still they didn't trust. And still they complained and murmured nearly at every point of the journey. In Exodus chapter 15, just to get the connection, we read verse 23-24, When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore they called the name of it Marah. And then verse 24 says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? It wasn't that they didn't have water, but rather that the waters were bitter. And so they murmured. And the word suggests that the children of Israel, they complained. And they expressed their dissatisfaction with their providential lot and their dissatisfaction to Moses. Chapter 16, what are they doing? They're complaining. Because we read in chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Now it wasn't lack of water this time, it was because they had no bread. And God's pilgrim people, they were characterized by grumbling and complaining and blaming others on their providential lot. And of course it's a lazy man's game, isn't it, to always be blaming others on their own uh, problems. And maybe that's a word in season for all of our hearts today. Wherever you are on the journey, don't be blaming others for your situation. There's a God of providence. And in providence, God rules over all of our situations. And it's easy to blame the minister. And it's easy to blame the elders. And it's easy to blame the committee. And it's easy to blame other Christians. But just remember... God and providence guides our every footstep along the pathway. We read now in Exodus chapter 17, there was no water, verse 1, for the people to drink. What did they do? Well, you'll not be surprised. In verse 2, it tells us the people did chide with Moses. This word chide, it literally means to enter into, as it were, a verbal wrangling match. You're arguing, you're debating, you are as it were, complaining and contending and striving again with the man of God. So they have Moses in their, their focus and they're complaining, they're striving, they're wrangling with him because there is no water. But it goes further than that. Uh, 
verse 3, it tells us the people murmured against Moses. And every time their murmuring happened, we, we discover chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, they sank to new lows. And now they're charging Moses with the accusation, you brought us here to murder us. And I want to say to all of you today, the more you murmur, the worse the murmuring will become. And you'll start charging people with all types of untruths and you'll start, worst of all, charging God. They tempted Jehovah, verse 7 says, by even questioning his presence with them. They dared to tempt Jehovah. What's the commentary of the Spirit of God in this whole narrative? We read about it in Psalm 106, one of those great historical psalms. They murmured in their tents, and they hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. It's as if they're skulking, hiding away. They're murmuring and they're complaining in their tents about what's going on in the camp of Israel. And it's very easy, brethren and sisters, to murmur in your tent, to murmur in your home, and to complain about things that are going on. So what did Moses do? He only did what all of us can do in such a situation. He cried unto the Lord. And God in grace directed him in verse 6 and verse 7. And he was told to take the elders of the children of Israel and the rod. And those elders, they might have went with Moses and they might have been expecting a God to act in judgment upon them. Because they knew that rod which had been used by Moses stretched out over the might of Egypt brought the world superpower to its knees. And they might have expected that rod to have brought Israel to its knees. And they would have been fully deserving of the rod of judgment. But Moses was told instead to take the rod and to go with the elders and to go to a particular designated rock at Horeb. And from that rock he was to smite on which God himself would stand. He was to smite that rock and God would bring water out of that rock that would supply the need of the children of Israel. Now, the spiritual significance of all of this is unfolded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 10 speaks about examples. You know what the word examples mean? It just means types. That's what it literally means. So here we have a type. And the typical teaching of this is that the rock was a type of Christ. We read in verse 4, they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here in the wilderness, amongst a murmuring, complaining, bitter people, they were being taught about Christ. Isn't that amazing? Those murmuring rebels, they deserved judgment. But what did God do instead? He showed them a picture of Christ. Did they see him as we see him in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? No, they didn't. But they were taught wonderful lessons about God's grace, about God's mercy, about God's goodness. And I want you to see that today. Before we come around the Lord's table, before we partake of these emblems of Christ, the bread that speaks of his body, the cup that speaks of his shed blood, I want you to see from Exodus chapter 17, how God showed to murmuring Israel, Christ.
Christ. And as we would partake, may we see Christ. May we see him and God's grace through him as never before. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 6. And I want you to notice first of all, and I know some of the boys and girls like to take notes. I would encourage the older boys and girls, the men and women, to take notes too. But I've been really encouraged over the past weeks uh, how children have given me the outline of that sermon. And that's wonderful. I commend all of the young people and the boys and girls. And if you can keep that in your mind, I think that will be a wonderful aid to your learning. So the first point is, I want you to see that the rock was smitten. It was smitten. Look at verse 6. We read here, Behold, I stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. Thou shalt smite the rock. So this smiting was by divine decree. Moses was told to do something by Almighty God. According to Strong's concordance, the word smite, it means to strike. It means to beat. It means to wound. It means to give stripes. So this striking, this smiting, was not just him gently laying the rod upon the rock. He had to smite the rock. And this particular rock that Horeb was to stand out for all of God's eternity. It was a very unlikely place whereby water would be brought forth. You get water out of the ground, you have to dig a well down into the ground to get water. You don't smite rocks to get water. Water does not normally come out of rocks that are broken down. If you go to any quarry and see all of the rocks that are broken down, you'll see very little moisture out of the rocks. So here in the most unlikely place, Moses was told to take the rod that symbolized the judgment of God, and he was told to smite that rock. He was told to hit it with force and with power. And God told him, that out of that most unlikely place, he would bring forth water. And what did Moses do? In obedience to God's divine decree, he took the rod that had brought Egypt down to nothing, and he took that rod, and he went to the designated rock at Horeb, and he went to it, and he smote it. He hit it, just as he had been directed to do. What do we have a picture of here? We have a picture of God's divine decree in smiting his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If that rock teaches us about Christ, the smiting tells us how Christ was smitten by divine decree. Yes, it was cruel men who took Christ and crucified him. They were culpable. They were responsible for their actions. But Peter reminded us in that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was in the great eternal decrees of God that the Son of God would be given over to wicked hands and those wicked hands would take the Saviour and put him on the cross and crucify him and there he would die. In Isaiah 53, that great messianic chapter, we read about the, the striking of the servant Messiah. In verse 4, we read, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was the Romans who put the lash upon his back and tore the flesh off his back. But the Bible tells us he was smitten of God. God smote him. 
God took the darling son and he put him on the cross and he took the rod of justice and judgment and he smote his son. We read in verse 5 similar words. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Here at the Lord's table today, I want you to think upon the stripes that were inflicted upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this table as we partake of these blessed emblems of the crucified, yes, it was wicked, cruel hands that smote the Saviour. But it was done by divine decree. These rebels in Exodus 17, they deserve to be smitten. That's what I think those elders were expecting. They're expecting that rod to be uplifted, judgment to fall down on Israel. That's what they did deserve. They're murmuring, their rebellion. They cried out for the rod to be laid on them. But instead, Moses was told, lay it on the rock. Don't smite my people, but smite the rock in the stead of my people. God in his grace and mercy, he decreed that the rebels would be saved, but justice had to be exercised. And justice was exercised because the rod of justice come down, but it hit the rock. It didn't land on God's people. There's a wonderful type here. It's taught to us right throughout the scriptures. I was thinking of how the Old Testament saints obtained mercy. In Hosea chapter 2, 23, God said, I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say unto them which were not my people, thou art my people. And it's not exactly, exactly what God does in covenant relationship with his people. We were not his people, but we obtained mercy. And God said to those who were not his people, due to his mercy, you are now my people. And everyone who names the name of the Lord in this building today, it's because of what? It's because we have obtained mercy. Obtained mercy of the Lord. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 16. Listen, this is his testimony. Sometimes we get people along to testify and they have a big story. But this was Paul's story. I obtained mercy. Twice over. That's all he talked about. The mercy of God. If you were on the condemned row and you were brought out and instead of being taken to the gallows, the judge said to you, if you obtain mercy, you go free. You would talk about that mercy forevermore. And this table, it reminds, it reminds us today Of mercy. This rod that was lifted and that smote the rock, it represented the law because it was the rod of Moses. There was no mercy with the law. The law decreed the soul that sinneth that shall die. And the rock been smitten with the rod of Moses, it typified. 
how the law of God fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no mercy at Calvary for him. I want you to know that. In Galatians 3 and 13, the Bible tells us he was made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. All of the curse of the law was put on Christ the rock. And he took it all. He took all the judgment. He took all the punishment. So that you and I would obtain mercy. We've been trying to learn top ladies hymn. We'll not give up on it and we'll come again to it. But top lady put it like this. If thou hast my discharge procured and freely in my room endured. The whole of wrath divine. Think on those words. The whole of wrath divine. There was no mercy at Calvary. The law didn't know mercy. The law only knew justice. And that inflexible justice of God, the rod of it was laid upon Christ on the cross of Calvary. And what was Christ doing? He was paying our debt to God's law. And top lady put it nicely, wonderfully. Payment. God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand and then again at mine. The debt's been paid, brethren and sisters. The debt's been paid. He, he paid it all so that you and I might have mercy. Don't forget the, the rock was smitten. Secondly, look with me at the supply which came from the rock. We wrongly imagine, I think, sometimes that this was some sort of little stream. As it were, Moses smote the rock and there was a trickle that came down from the rock. But the water that came down from the rock was enough to supply the hundreds and thousands in the camp of Israel. Some commentators believe, obviously, they had to dig, dig uh, channels to take the water from the rock and channel it, irrigate it through the camp of Israel. They made pools or dams to store the water in. There was such an abundant supply from it. How do I know all of that again? From one of those historical Psalms, Psalm 78, <coughs> verse 15 to 20. We read, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused the waters to run down like rivers. Not wonderful. This was no little trickle coming down the side of, of the rock. This was, the Bible tells us, waters running down like rivers that flooded the whole wilderness that supplied the needs of the whole camp of the children of Israel. God had provided for them the manna from on high. He would provide the flesh for them, but he also provided the water for them in abundant supply. Now, the typology of this vast supply is striking. And again, the Lord Jesus tells us what he means by it. We'll go to John's Gospel. Just let me read the passages to you for sake of time. John 4, 13, 14. Remember, Jesus is at the well of Sychar. He's speaking to the woman of the well of Samaria. And he said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. So it's water. It's literal water. But Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
Salvation is just like a well of water. A well of water springing up within. Unto everlasting life. Rivers of living water. Jesus spoke of. In John 7, 37 to 39. In that last great day of the feast. The Bible tells us. Jesus stood and said. If any man thirst let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What do we learn from this? Well verse 39. This spake he of the spirit. Which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit is the gift of the crucified. And the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And he's poured out. Acts chapter 2, 18 tells us he's poured out. The New Testament tells us in that passage that we read together, 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, not only was the rock Christ, but they did all drink that same spiritual drink. The water that came from the rock. The Bible tells us all of the camp of Israel drank off it. And that supply that comes from Christ crucified and ascended is the Holy Spirit and all of the people of God. They drink of that Spirit of God, that drink of that Spirit of life. There are some, of course, who deny this basic Christian doctrine. And they teach that you receive, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like a second work of grace. But I, I've said to you again today, if you haven't got the Holy Spirit within you, you've never known what the first work of grace is. There's no such thing as a believer who has not the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you couldn't be a believer. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8 and 9 says, he is none of his. So these supplies of grace are typified from the water that came from the rock and they all drank of that rock in the wilderness and of course they speak to us about the supplies of the Spirit of God the supplies of grace the supplies of mercy the supplies of salvation Matthew Henry he summarized it as he always does the pleasures of sense are puddle water spiritual delights are rock water so pure, so clear, so refreshing Rivers of pleasure. When you're out and about, you would never, if you were thirsty, you would never stoop down and drink in a puddle of water, would you? You would look for clear, fresh, running water to drink from it. Of today, spiritually speaking, there are many and they're drinking from the dirty puddle waters of this world. Maybe that's you, spiritually speaking. You're not drinking from the living supplies. You're drinking from the contaminated supplies. Living supplies are fresh running water. But the world's water is contaminated and polluted with sin. Jesus invites you today to come and to drink of the supplies that he gives. Wouldn't have been a, a, it would have been death in the camp of Israel if the Israelites had the water in the midst, the supply in the midst, and they refuse to drink. And dear brethren and sisters, there's not one of you here in this meeting today, young or old alike, that has not heard the gospel before. But you're still refusing to drink. And it's not until you partake of that water 
that you have eternal life living within your soul. Our time's fast going, so go with me thirdly to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And here thirdly, I want you to notice that Moses was told to speak unto the rock. Speak unto the rock. Now, there's a time lapse here, of course. Don't mix up these two things. They're different events. There's a time lapse, maybe 38, 40 odd years between the two events. The wilderness sojourn is coming to an end. They're soon going to enter into the land of Canaan. But they're still murmuring. And they're still complaining. It's an awful thing to start the journey murmuring, complaining, blaming others for your own uh, circumstances. But I think it's even worse to meet someone at the end of life's journey and they've come to the very, they've come to the very deathbed and they're still murmuring, they're still complaining, they're still blaming others. And the children of Israel are such, Numbers 20. They're blaming Moses. They still don't have sufficient water. And they're, they're, they're blaming him. They're saying, it'd been far better if we died under the judgment of God and the rest who died in, in the judgment of God. And Moses and Aaron, they're still interceding with God. Thank God for Christians who pray for others who don't know how to pray for themselves. Thank God for the interceders in the congregation, for the supplicators, for those who plead and pray with God. Because let me tell you, I believe today you're still here in the land of the living and have opportunity to hear the gospel because someone's still praying for you. Someone's still interceding for you. Someone's still lifting your name up before Almighty God in heaven. And Moses and Aaron, and they lifted up the names of the assembly before Almighty God. And God told them, this time to take this assembly. And they were to go to the rock. And we read in verse 8, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 8. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes and it shall give forth his water. This is totally different from Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, they were to smite the rock. Now, in Numbers chapter 20, he was only to speak unto the rock. He couldn't strike it a second time. Why? Because that would break the typology of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, we read about the high priest. He went alone once every year. Once, without, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Verse 9, is all Hebrews 9. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once. And then we read about Christ. We read, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He died once. He was smitten once. He could never be smitten the second time. The work was finished for all of God's great eternity. It's absolutely finished. That's why, as we sit at this table today, it is with confidence and assurance that the work that we are remembering, it is forever settled in heaven. He was not to strike the rock the second time. He was just to speak to the rock and it would give forth its vital supplies. Brethren and sisters, anything that takes away from the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ is an abomination to God. 
That's why, as Bible-believing Protestants, we do abhor the Mass, the Roman Mass, that pretends to be the unbloody offering up of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an insult to the finished work of Calvary. What an insult to the, the, the once and for all finished work of God's Son on that center tree. Moses himself was not allowed to take away from the finished work. And therefore, you and I today, we can never detract from the finished work of God's own dear Son. The rock had to be spoken to. What did Moses do? Totally frustrated. He'd listened to these people for some 40 years. And Moses took the rod and he smote that rock twice. And water came forth. Now there are some people today and they tell me when I look at the the, the, the contemporary Christian worship scene and they tell me, oh, Reverend Hart, look at the crowds that are going to it. Look at the things that are happening by it. And, and look how little comes to the meetings and on along by comparison. Would you not be safer introducing some of those new things? Let's, let's, put a, let's put a band in at one corner. Let's put a stage in at the other corner. Why not do away with the pulpit altogether and just have a stage at the front and we'll put lighting in and we'll have a fog in the meetings, and, and we'll introduce all of these things, and you'll pack the place out. You will. You'll do all of that. But that's like Moses striking the rock when he was told to speak to the rock. You and I can only do in the worship of God what we're directed to do. And even, I don't care... If somebody else who has left off the preaching and has introduced all of these other innovations into the meetings, I don't care, he's the house packed out. There's consequences. There's consequences for disobeying God. And what was the consequence for Moses? God didn't allow him to enter into the promised land. Personally, he couldn't go in. There's consequences. God and grace gave the water because the people needed the water. But there were consequences for Moses. He didn't enter in. I believe there's consequences for the church in this land today because the church has departed from the old-fashioned means of grace. No longer do we speak to the rock. We think we can have a party on the rock. God has withdrawn his blessing. We need to get back just to obeying the simple word of God. Just trusting and obeying and looking to the Lord. Exodus 17, totally different from Numbers chapter 20. But oh, what lessons we glean from it all about Christ. The rock was not to be smitten again, ever again. We can never touch Calvary. We can't unpick it. We can't undo it. We can't detract from it. It's forever finished and settled in heaven.